We are hearing a grand sumo, a musical gathering of Malian griots, held in 1997 in the small town of Dabia in western Mali. The occasion is the return of the town's favorite son, Futanga Baba Nisisoko, or Baba Sora. Baba Sora is a praise name for a member of the Sisoko clan. It means piercer, signifying a person who was great in battle. The name also harkens back to the time when the Sisokos were blacksmiths, fabricating all important farming tools. The circumstances of this particular sumu and this particular Sisoko are remarkable, even hard to believe. For some, Babasora is a hero of his country, Africa's greatest patron of the arts. To others, he's a disruptor, a criminal, a con man. Well, all this is part of our story today. Hello, I'm Georges Codinet, with you on Afropop Worldwide from PRX. This edition, The Enigma of Babasora. Babasora, who died at age 79 in March 2021, was without a doubt the most generous and beloved patron of Monday griots in modern times. Countless songs have been written in his praise. Babasora, oui, il le mérite. Yes, Babasora, he deserves it. That's balafon maestro Lassana Djabate, just one of the Malian musicians we'll hear from on this program. Another is Salif Keita, who recorded this song for Babasora on his 2002 album Mofu, a perfect way to get us in the mood. Baba, 
Boba Sissoko, on dit qu'il est escroc, non J'aime bien la façon qu'il escroque les gens. J'aime sa façon. Même Dieu aime sa façon. Baba Sissoko, they say he's a swindler. But I like the way he swindles. Even God likes his way of swindling. He doesn't go into the bank to rob that bank. No. When I give you something, that's enough. Why do you have to call on someone else to help you multiply your money? It's enough already. You are the thief. Baba is someone who struggled against thievery. That's why I think about him. Because he makes the poor rich. He has given houses to people who never even have a room to sleep in. Salif Keita praising the generosity of Baba Sora Sissoko. Now, before we dig into Baba's story, here is a little background on griots and their patrons. We spoke with our colleague Lucy Duran in her home in London, England. Lucy is a scholar, author, educator, music producer, and someone who knows Monday culture about as well as any Western. The way that things work in Mande griot culture is that you have the jelly, who is a hereditary musician born into a lineage of musicians. They don't necessarily all play music, but they are all considered griots and they all have a knowledge of the art of the griot. And then there is the jatigi, that's the Mande word for patron. So you have this symbiotic relationship which has been going on for centuries where you have a patron who takes care of the griot and his or her family. They know each other really, really well. That is all that the griot does. They don't cultivate the land. Everything is given to them by their jatigi, by their patron. And as you would expect with colonialism and then with independence, that has all changed dramatically. The old, long, generation after generation relationship between patron and griot, if you like, jatigi and jelly, that's all changed. And Babasora modeled himself on these jatigis of old, but there's a twist. However, it has to be said that Babasora himself was a jelly born into a griot family. He never played music, but he was incredibly musical. Other members of his family were musicians. His mother apparently was a singer, and he had very profound knowledge of the jelly repertoire, particularly from his region, Dabia, Kenyaba, on the border with Senegal and Guinea. And it's a region that is very rich in gold. A lot of the gold of Mali comes from that region. And it also is the region of, to my mind, some of the most beautiful music of Mali, if not of Africa. I mean, just incredible melodies. Every time I hear a beautiful melody that the Jalis sing and I ask them, where is that from? They say, oh, it's from Kenyaba or oh, it's from Dabia. So it's just one of those regions that historically has produced gold and melody. And Baba Sora was born into that region and grew up with deep knowledge of the music. He knew a good tune from a bad one, and he also knew a good musician from a bad one. The song we're hearing is from a very good musician indeed, the late Tata Bambo Kuyate. It's her 1985 homage to Baba Sora based on one of Baba's favorite traditional songs, Bambu Gucci.
Well now, at this point, I need to bring in producer Banning Air. In 1995, Banning went to Mali to study guitar with maestro Jelly Madi Tunkara, a griot himself, and the lead guitarist of the super rail band of Bamako. Banning wrote about all this in his book, In Griot Time, which actually includes an interview with Babasora. Have I got that right, Banning? Yes, George, you do. My interview happened in March of 1996, and it's quite a story, which we'll get to. But at one point, Baba spoke about his early life, which is where the mysteries begin. Here's what he told me. Dabia, à partir du mois de mars, enfin avril, mars, c'est dangereux parce qu'il y a beaucoup de vent. Quand les femmes préparées, il y a le vent qui arrive, il faut fermer toutes les portes. Dabia, from the month of March until late August, is dangerous because there is a lot of wind. When the women prepare food, they must close all doors so that the fire does not spread. I was born at nine in the morning on the 17th of August, 1945. In these years, there wasn't much rain. My father had gone to the army. After my birth, they asked for fire to light my mother's womb. Everyone went to the field. One person stayed with a fire. And after a half hour, the wind came. It came into the room and the room caught on fire. The fire burned the whole house, except the room where I was sleeping as a baby. So I had to rebuild the village because my birth had brought misfortune to my mother, the woman who made me, and to the whole village. By many accounts, George, Baba was a distracted child, quiet, industrious, private. He used to sell coffee by the cup in Dabia. He told me that even when he became wealthy, people tended to underestimate him. People said to my brother, your brother, he's an imbecile, he's an idiot. People came and said, why is your brother wasting money like that? He hasn't built hotels and factories. Why do you let him do that? They were afraid to tell me. But I say, God is great. My heart is clear. I am a Muslim. I'm a Protestant. I am a Catholic. Our God has said, to be honest, once you have gained your own good fortune, you must help the next one, your parents, your friend. You cannot take happiness like a lemon all by yourself. You must pass the bread to everyone. People ask, how does Baba still have money? Well, it is simple. No one reveals the door to his happiness. You never tell your secrets. Baba recounted a tense exchange he had as a boy with his father, who was deeply frustrated that his son refused to play music. My father said, you are going to tell me. Why do you refuse to love music? What are you going to do? You didn't finish school. Your grandfather wouldn't allow it. You didn't go into the army. Your grandfather wouldn't allow it. Are you going to become a thief to defend African music? I say, the music is very important. You are right, but people don't understand its value today. When the time comes, and if I can, I will show the true value of this music. From his humble origins in Dabia, Baba Sora set off on an adventure that would take him to Senegal, to India, maybe to other places, and eventually back to Africa, to Gabon. It's true that the first part of Baba Sora's life is shrouded in mystery. The way it has been explained to me by all his kind of musical mates, like Duga Sisoko, Chekoro Sisoko, 
they would say, he's a wanderer, he's an adventurer. He was always someone who wanted to be a catalyst for something happening. And that's very much also in the pattern of jellies in the old days. You know, they were always wandering, going from one place to another, looking for a, a new patron. Even his brother Duga, he knew he had a brother named Baba, but he didn't know where he was. Lassana Jabati did not know Baba Sora well, but he had long heard the stories. Baba was in Senegal, in India, in Gabon, and the word was he had magical powers. Son premier passage au Mali. The first time he came to Mali with money was during the time of Omar Bongo. Omar Bongo was the autocratic president of Gabon from 1967 until 2009. Baba had learned the president's sister-in-law, his wife's sister, was paralyzed. Baba presented himself and said that he could cure Omar Bongo's sister-in-law. Now, Bongo's family was richer than the country itself. Money was not a problem. <laughs> Bongo had been in the U.S. and Europe looking for a cure with no luck. So now he asked the Malian how much money he needed. But Baba was ambitious. He said he would cure the woman on the condition that he then be allowed to marry her. Bongo was astonished, assuming it was all about money. You want to become Gabonese? Baba said, give me her hand in marriage and I will get to work. And so it went. Baba made this woman, whose name was Marie Louise, walk. Bongo approved the marriage and Marie Louise became Baba's first wife. Money came with the marriage, of course, but something more as well. It was a mystery. Everyone knew he had some kind of special gift. Sometime in the 1970s, Babasar returned to Mali with some 15 million CFA and began giving it away, a thousand, two thousand dollars at a time. It wasn't just griot. He gave a lot of money to the government as well. He gave away money like it was paper. He did things people could not believe. At the time, nobody gave that kind of money to a griot. We're going to hear a lot about gifts Babasora regaled upon musicians. But, as Lassana says, his generosity went well beyond musicians, starting with his home village, Dabia. He raised all the buildings to the ground in Dabia and he rebuilt everything in cement. Everything before had just been in straw and mud brick. And he built a hospital, he built schools, he built an airfield. So by the time Babasar returned to Mali from another adventure in 1984, everyone knew of his generosity. That's when another of his favorite female griot singers, Babani Kone, came to know him. Greetings, everyone. My name is Baba Nkone, born Fatumata Kone. I'm a griot from Segu. 
The first time I met Baba was at his home in Ipodrome. By coincidence, we both went by the same name, Babani. His real first name was Futanka, and mine was Fatumata. We were immediately happy to meet because we had dissimilar names. I have been invited there with four or five other musicians because Baba loved music. Every night he would invite artists to come play and sing for him. He was very nice. We would stay until three or four in the morning. Then he would let us go home to sleep. <laughs> Babani recalled that on that first night, Baba Sora rewarded another Jedi Muso, or female griot singer, Sadio Kuyate with a kilogram bar of gold. Incredible! But of all the Jelly Musso Baba adored, perhaps none was closer to him than the inimitable Kanja Kuyate. Kanja Kuyate, I would say, is the greatest female voice of Mali in the late 20th century. She is a Jelly Musso, she's a female Jelly, enormously popular. She has incredible charm when she sings. She has a real deep knowledge of the Jelly tradition, the griot tradition, and she was absolutely tops at the time when she met Baba Sora Sisogo. With help from Mustafa Jallo from Masina Film, we reached Kanja at her home in Bamako during a late season rainstorm. That house, by the way, like Baba Nikone's, was given to her and paid for by Baba Sora. I first met Baba thanks to his brother Duga, who had played guitar with me for a long time. He invited me to perform a concert for his brother, Baba, who has just returned from an international trip. The song Kandia began with there is Bula, which signifies all people with the surname Sisoko. It's a story that goes back to the 12th century sorcerer king, Sumanguru Kante. And Kandia always sings it when she speaks about Baba Sora. <laughs> My meeting with Duga was at first very exhausting. He invited me to come in the morning. I came and I waited and waited. Then I became angry and I was about to leave. But Duga came to me and said, no, I didn't give you a false invitation. My brother has just returned from Gabon and I want you to sing Jelia for him. I refused. I was angry, but eventually I came down and began to perform Jelia for Baba. I began with the song, Bula, which says many things concerning Baba. When I began to sing Bula, he gave me 50,000 sefa. That was a lot of money at the time, and I was delighted. The next day, he called for us. He was living in the Grand Hotel in Bamako at the time. I came with my daughter. Afterward, we recorded an album with some other girls. Then a lot of things happened. He bought me a return trip ticket to France. I was so happy. It was my first time. Upon arriving in France, I went to my Jatigi. He took the telephone and called Baba and asked, do you know who is in France? 
Baba gave his address to Bazu and we arrived right away at Baba's place in Paris. When we got there, I began to sing and Baba asked if I knew a chorus play in Paris. I said yes. I know Bakari Jabate. So I called Bakari, we play, and we record it. And from that time, I stay close to Baba as a friend and as a jelly. At one point, Baba said, Kanja is not my griot, she's my sister. In the mid-1980s, Baba Sora was back and forth between his home in Dabia, his hotel in the Gambia, and Bamako. Well, he might turn up at any moment. He will arrive at 7 p.m. in Bamako. At 10 p.m., he will call Kanja, come and play for me. Getting a call like that was like striking gold. Nobody would be late for such an appointment. One of the times that Baba Sora returned to Mali, like the return of the hero, all the jellies were in such a state of excitement. The head of the griots of Mali organized a huge party in a big field in the west of Bamako, where the old airfield used to be. And so there were dozens and dozens and dozens of griots at night, in the evening, in the dark, with their drums and their various instruments, and hundreds of female griots dressed to the nines in an enormous circle, shuffling around, doing their griot dances and everything. And he didn't show, and he didn't show, and he didn't show. And then he turns up in a car, a Mercedes, probably. And he drove into the circle, and they were drumming. And he actually drove backwards and forwards, rocking the car from one side to another, in time to the drums, in time to the dancing. And people just went completely mad. This was not just their patron, this was a fellow Jali who really understood the music. That was it, he really knew that music from the inside. And there he was in a car, driving just very gently, but just rocking that car. It was an amazing scene. <laughs> Lucy Duran met Kandia Kuyate in 1987 and was immediately smitten with her talent. The singer had recently composed the song dedicated to Babasora, which Lucy produced for an album that year. It's called Kunandi Labeno. It's highly metaphorical and actually quite difficult to translate, but it's a metaphorical way of praising someone who is very, very generous, almost to an excess. Kudandi labeno means when you sow a seed, it spreads and grows very quickly. So the generosity of Babani, this man blessed with luck, allowed many musicians to dedicate themselves to their profession instead of having to grovel around and sing n'importe quoi, just any old thing for anyone. So it was a tribute to him as a great patron in the mold of the great old pre-colonial patrons, the kings and the warriors. And of course, the accompaniment is Jaura, the music of his region, music for farming. It's all part of that kind of metaphor of cultivation. You know, when you cultivate the land, you grow things that give life. And that's what Baba Sora Sisoko did. I'm 
Well, one of the famous stories of this era in Babasora's life was how he gave Kandia Kuyate an airplane. <laughs> Some later claimed that this never happened or that the plane actually belonged to Omar Bongo and had to be returned. But Lucy Duran heard the story at the time and straight from Kandia. She told me, without boasting or anything like that, You know, I've been given a plane. I've been given a very small plane. It's a two-seater. And obviously, I don't fly planes. So I have a pilot, and he comes and he picks me up when Baba Sora wants me to be in his home village in Dabia because it's too far away to drive there and then come back the same day. He's built an airstrip especially for small planes like this. And I have a petrol account in the airport And they just fill it up. I don't pay for a thing. And off we go. Now, whether it was a plane that was on loan, that had been borrowed, I don't know. But as far as Kanja was concerned, she had been given a plane. And that plane was used to take her up to Dabia to sing for Babasora and his family. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if you think this story is getting crazy, you ain't heard anything yet. Visit Afropop.org to read our full interview with Lucy Duran and much, much more on Baba Sora. I'm Georges Collinet and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRX.
I can see you sitting on the edge of your seat. <laughs> well, anyway, don't worry. We pick up Baba stories in Bamako in the mid-1990s. Here is Banning Air. When I went to Bamako in 1995 to study guitar with Jelimadi Tunkara of the Super Rail Band, Baba Sora had not been to Mali for about seven years. People didn't know where he'd been. I didn't even know who he was. But I would soon learn that Baba was a close friend of Jelimadi's going back to childhood. Among other things, they shared the experience of difficult jelly fathers who harbored unrealistic expectations of their sons. At one point in the 1980s, Jelamati had frustrated the rail band by actually going to live with Baba in France for a year. Baba's relationship with Jelamati, it was like they were family. Sure, folks like Lasana knew that, but in four months, Jelamati had never mentioned the man to me. Suddenly, Baba Sora was there, doling out money, cars, and other extravagant gifts. For me, it was like a dream. One morning, I arrived at Jalamati's compound for breakfast, and his sister-in-law, the singer Yai Kanute, showed me a kilogram bar of gold she had received the prior evening singing for Baba. It must have been worth thousands of dollars. And this was in one of the world's poorest countries where the griot musicians I knew scrounged for cash at weddings and baptisms. Now, a kind of mass hysteria took hold among the musicians I knew. Lucy Duran arrived in Bamako around this time, and she saw it too. His house in Hippodrome, which is kind of the expensive part of Bamako, I mean, day and night, day and night, day and night, there were just hundreds of people sitting on the ground, sleeping all night, waiting, waiting, waiting to see him. At the time, it was easier to go to Washington and enter the president's office than it was to visit Baba. But for the right musicians, it could be done. And one night, luck shone on Lassana Djabadi. I myself went once and earned 750,000 CFA, about $1,000 at a time. That day, there were quite a few of us. There was Jelimadi, there was Solo, their brother Adama, there was Baseku, there was Murwa Jabate on the guitar, his brother Sheikh, there was a Tama player. In all, we were 11 people. And no doubt there were many Jelly Mousseau female singers present that night as well. I witnessed one of these soirees in Hippodrome, and it was intense. All the singers vying for a turn at the coveted microphone. The microphone was war. To get a hold of a microphone to sing or speak, it was war.
Wow, Banning, that's beautiful. A taste of a soiree chez Babasora in 1996. You know, George, some years later, I met a chorus player in Boston playing in Harvard Square and speaking good English. He turned out to be one of Jalamati's nephews, Bala Tunkara. And apparently, he had won the War of the Microphone one night, and it had changed his life. I sing for Babanese, he's so good. Jalamati was playing the guitar with uh, Moody Bububa Sako, everybody. To be a woman was singing, then I just jump around, sing for five minutes. And he just stopped the music. One minute, who's this boy? And then he just stopped the music, just wrote it. Check for 12,000. American, in Mali, that's a six million. Because I sing, and what I say, my voice, and he see how young I am, and he see my talent right away. He just give me that. And then I finally got the visa, and then I come in the United States, because it was my vision for a long time. What a story. Well, it's been said that Babasora was a fair man. He might give money to the greatest jelly alive or to a young upstart with a dream. He really wanted to live as if it were during the time of Sunjata. Every time he invited musicians, they sang for him, and frankly, he deserved it, because what he did was insane. He could spend 200 million sefa in a single night. It was crazy. But this was someone who was very passionate about music. Well, that's an understatement. But one thing puzzles me, Banning. How does a griot like Babasora transform himself into a kind of nobleman? That's a key question, George. And Lucy Duran had something to say about it in comparing Babasora to Mali's greatest pop singer, Salif Keita. Well, it's really interesting that Babasora became a kind of a patron of Salif Keita because there is Salif Keita who is in theory descended from Sunjata Keita, the founder of the Mali Empire, the incarnation of royalty, if you like. They're not supposed to sing or to play music at all. So there's Salif, who despite being born into this noble heritage, he's a singer. And in fact, almost all of Salif's music is drawn from the griot tradition. A lot of his tunes are taken directly from that region, the region that Babasora was from. And then you've got his patron, who is in fact a griot himself, and yet he has cast himself in the role of the patron, the noble. But to my mind, that is one of the wonderful things about Malian culture and Malian society, is that nothing is really set in stone like that. You can talk about it like that, but the reality is that there are many griots who behave like nobles and have never sung a note in their lives. And then you have many nobles who are very musical. I mean, all the Wasalu, they're all of noble heritage and they're not griots.
Salif Keta with Nyanyama, the truth will come out in the end. Beautiful. So, Banning, talking about the truth, you mentioned that you actually got to interview Baba Sora. How did you manage that? Well, it was all thanks to Jalamadi, and it was something of an ordeal. You'll have to check out my book for the whole story. And by the way, that book is In Griot Time, an American guitarist in Mali. Anyway, it involved a number of false starts and then a lot of waiting. But finally, around 2 a.m., I was escorted into Babasora's grand receiving room, and right off, I asked him how he became the greatest patron of Mali and Griots. Here's what he said. You know the mangoes, the fruits? When it starts, it starts petit petit. The people don't see it. You know the fruits? The mango, when it starts, is very small. People don't even see it. But when it becomes big, everyone notices it. We have a proverb among us. If a snake stays hidden, it will live a long time. But every day if people see snakes, they will kill them. Now people have discovered Baba has money, but Baba was a billionaire for 12 years before anyone knew. By this time, I had seen not only Baba's generosity, but the kind of anxiety and determination his presence was causing among musicians. So I asked if Baba ever felt that they were manipulating him to win his favor. He did not. The griot comes from the most dignified society. Very, very dignified. We have many billionaires here, but you cannot play music for an idiot who doesn't understand it. The griot want to give to someone who understands their value because they value dignity. People who spend on griot buy their dignity. Notre musée d'Afrique, le musée d'Afrique, le musée africain, c'est la musique, c'est les griots. Our museum in Africa is music. It is a griot. Without music, we have nothing. Today, we have the Sissokos. They are proud. The Keitas, they are proud. Traore, Jara. These are the descendants of the six families of Mandi. But why are these families still proud? It's because of the griot tradition that tells them their history. The history of African music is very profound. All the African presidents who love their music are proud. All that's left in Africa now is music. Well, a wise man, no? Absolutely. George Lucy Duran mentioned Wassalu artists and how they're great musicians, but not griots. As it happened, once Baba Sora arrived in Bamako in February 1996, Jalamadi suspended our guitar lessons to spend time with Baba, and eventually he flew off to Dabia. So I started concentrating on the great Wassalu singer Sally Sidibe. Even though non-griot musicians were not getting invited to Baba's soirees and hippodrome, she too was susceptible to what I called Babani fever. Sally recorded a 10-minute praise song to the man. Here's a bit of it.
After Banning left Bamako, Babasora ran into trouble when he tried to buy two helicopters in the United States to use in an airline he was starting in the Gambia. The problem was that these were military helicopters left over from the Vietnam War. This is a very long story, but the upshot is Baba was arrested for bribing a customs officer and spent about a year in house arrest, mostly in a penthouse in Miami. But the real shocker came after he was released in November 1997 and returned to that Grand Sumo in Dabia, where we began our program. Babasora had continued his conspicuous generosity in Miami and gotten a lot of attention for it. As a result, an enterprising reporter at the Miami New Times, Jim DeFeedy, was determined to find out where all this cash was coming from. It turned out that Baba had worked his mystic charms on an officer of the Bank of Dubai. He was allowed to withdraw $242 million over a two-year period. Now, in another context, this kind of thing might have caused a big scandal back home. But what was the reaction? Here's Kanja Kuyate. Hmm. God is great. When I first learned that Baba had hijacked money, it was nothing new. There are many who hijack money, and it never returns to their country. Baba was a thief, perhaps, but in my opinion, he was the Malian Robin Hood. I can give you examples. Baba helped the football team to travel to matches. And when Malian was trapped in foreign country, Baba went to find them with his plane. So if he's a thief, I like his kind of thief. There are many thieves, and you never seen the color of their money. And here's Baba Nikoni. After I learned the source of his fortune in Dubai, it didn't bother me at all, because he returned with his fortune to the land of his birth to build the nation. The thing that did bother me was the attitude of certain Malians who were jealous of him. That's the nature of money. Even if you're not one of those rewarded by Baba, he did his best to redistribute the money he found outside the country. Lucie Durand says that Baba Sora combines two types of powerful characters in Monday culture. First, the Nyana, a hero who accomplishes things with his physical ability, and the Nyara, a person possessing supernatural abilities. In a way, what you see in this incredible character of Baba Sora is that he's partly Nana, he's partly a hero, and he's also a Nara, he's also a great master, and he's put the two together and, you know, managed to persuade the Bank of Dubai <laughs> to give him millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in the process. It's quite amazing. I asked Lucy if Baba's early training as a griot might have helped him in his, let's say, extra griot exploits. A griot needs to have that kind of insight into the human psyche. The really good ones, they really do have a kind of an uncanny sensibility and, and knowledge. That was one of the gifts of Baba Sora. He had that ability to get under the surface of things and really understand people and possibly for the same reason, to be able to fool them or con them or, you know, persuade them. How exactly he did that, I doubt anyone will ever know. But after his return from Miami, a wanted man, he would never be able to pull off such financial wonders again. So that reception in Dabia in 1997 was a return, but also a kind of ending. After 
After Miami, he did many, many things. He continued to give money, but at that point, everyone realized that the money had come from the Bank of Dubai. The Arabs and people in Dubai wanted to have him arrested. That's when he went into politics and became a deputy. The president of Mali, Amadou Toumani Touré Atete, felt that even though the money was stolen, Babani had done a lot for the country. That's incredible. So he eluded Interpol by becoming a Malian politician? Yes, he did, and it worked. Babasor remained a deputy of the Malian National Assembly until he died. He lived out his life mostly in Bamako and Dabia and was never arrested or prosecuted. But without traveling, he could not replenish his riches, and gradually, all the money was gone. By 2015-2020, to he became poor. I remember one time, they came and turned off the electricity in his home in Hippodrome. It was an event. He is Baba Nisisoko, and he can even pay his electricity. In 2010, Lucy Duran was working in Bamako, and by chance, she stayed with a friend, just across the street from Babasora's house in Hippodrome. Already in 2010, Babasora had seriously run out of money. His funds had finished. One by one, the lights went out in his house. It was kind of sad. And then he started clearing things out of his house, or somebody started clearing them out. And so suddenly there was all of this kind of Louis XIV furniture on this sandy street in Hippodrome, in front of his house, and no one touched it. That's how much everyone respected Baba Sora. And one evening, Baseku Kuyate, the Ngoni player, and his wife, Amisako, who are great friends of mine, went to see Baba Sora, and they brought him to meet me. It was the only time I ever met him, but we had such an interesting conversation, and was just like straight off the deep end, talking about all kinds of philosophical things. And then I sang that song, the song that Kanja had sung for him, you know. So he started explaining it to me and I was completely gripped. And I thought, this is a very, very special, thoughtful, gentle human being. He'd lost his money, but he hadn't lost his dignity. From there, he went back to live in Dabia and I never saw him again. But surely, all the people he helped, all those artists and politicians, they must have come to his aid. Some musicians certainly rallied around him, including Bala Tunkara, who returned from the U.S. and continued to perform for his patron. But Lassana Jabate says those with the means to really help mostly did not. Sadly, sadly, after he became poor, People abandon him. I'm sorry to say that, but even the grill abandons him. Sometimes that's how it is with us. When you have money, everybody comes. When you have no money, you have no family. That was the case with Babasora. Four days after he died, Baba Nikone organized a sumo next to his house. People insulted her. They said, no, the grill should pass one month without playing music in memory of Baba. That was when his ex-wife said no. When Baba fell sick, it was Baba Ninkone who visited him. And every time she came, she gave him 500,000 to 600,000 sefa. Leave Baba Ninkone alone. What Baba Nin did, no other girl did that. No one seems to know exactly how Baba Sora died. 
but the people we spoke with did have some ideas about how he should be remembered. Here's Babani Kone. What I want people to remember about Babasora is that he was a very happy man and a fanatic for music. And here's Kancha Koyate. The memory I want people to hold about Baba is that people have to stop gossiping. Baba was part of a phenomenon that had existed for centuries and centuries. But people like Baba don't come along all the time. I want people to remember that Baba was generous and good, and he did good things. I ask God to welcome Baba into his paradise and that the children he leaves here on earth will be as good as he was. There's a wonderful, very metaphorical proverb that the Jellies quote when they're lamenting the death of a great patron. And it goes, Yiri baboita konolu janjanta that means great tree has fallen. Konolu Janjanta, the birds have all scattered and the birds are the jellies. You know, it's so interesting when you Google Babasora, what you find is that he is invariably described as a schemer, a swindler, a thief, a con man. And none of these reports mention the fact that he was also a great patron of music and the arts and his country and his country. He did a lot for his country and no one mentions anything about that. If you think about what he managed to do as a patron of music, you have to kind of think about how much less music would we have had, wonderful music of classical music, if Beethoven hadn't had a patron, if Mozart hadn't had a patron, if Bach hadn't had a patron. This is what Baba Sora did. And so I sort of feel a bit angry that he's always described as a con man, because he's much more than that, much more than that. Thanks to Mustafa Diallo for recording interviews with Kandia Kouyaté and Babani Kone. Thanks also to Kasim Kone and Sheriff Sisoko for voiceover tracks. And a very special thanks to Lucy Duran. Lucy, it's always a pleasure to have you on our airwaves. And another special thanks to Jelimadi Tunkara and his family for hosting and educating me in 1995 and 96. Without their generosity, I would never have learned about Babasaurus. Funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art. And from PRX affiliate stations around the US. And thank you for supporting your public radio station. 
Additional support for Afropop Worldwide comes from Carnegie Hall, presenting multi-Grammy Award winner Angelique Kidjo, singing songs from her latest album, Mother Nature. Songs from New York to the World, November 5th. Ticket info at carnegiehall.org. Visit afropop.org to read our interview with Lucy Duran and much more on Babasora. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at AfropopWW. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Banning Air. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast, including radio programs and our Afropop Close-Up podcast series. And don't forget to join us next week for another edition of Afropop Worldwide. Our chief audio engineer is Michael Jones. Additional engineering by GC from the syncopated layer in Washington, D.C. Banning Air and C.C. Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our director of new media is Ben Richman. And I'm Georges Collinet.